You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Good morning. Today, I want to talk to you about the Antichrist and the different aspects of his personality, of his character. And the reason why I want to do this is because uh, he, by definition, is a very deceptive character. And the Bible actually predicts that a lot of Christians will fall for him when he appears. And so I'm going to lay out 13 uh, examples of his character throughout the scripture. The, by the way, the scripture doesn't give uh, an exhaustive um kind of organized list of his personality. So I want to do that for you today. And let's start with a definition. Antichrist simply means in place of Christ or against Christ, right? Opposed to Christ. Um, this is anything or anybody or any ideology that is uh, that sets itself up or themselves up as an enemy to Jesus. And uh, so basic, a uh, simple definition, but it's a very um, hard reality once we get into uh, what that looks like. And we're going to start with number one. Uh, the Antichrist is like Cain who murdered his brother Abel. You can find that in Genesis chapter 4, verses 5 through 14. And I want to uh, read to you 1 John three twelve. Sometimes the Bible will give commentary on the Old Testament so that we can understand it the right way. Here's what John says. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so that is the mark of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is someone who is lawless. He is against law. He, he is above the law. He thinks that he is the law. And so therefore, nobody can tell him what to do. And, and this makes him evil. And, it, and if he's above the law, he can murder anybody. He can kill anybody. And he's not going to necessarily be bothered by it because his conscience isn't bound by law. Number two, um, the Antichrist is like Nimrod who built Babylon and the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 10, 8 through 12, it says this, Cush fathered uh, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And then get this, verse 10. Like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon. Uh, Babylon, anywhere it appears in the Bible, it's always bad. Babylon is who exiled the southern kingdom uh, of Israel. Babylon is who besieged Jerusalem. Babylon is who uh, kidnapped and castrated Daniel and his three friends. And Babylon is who Rome is patterned after. This is why it appears again at the end of Revelation chapter 17 and 18, where God says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It's that great city that opposes itself against God. And then we keep reading in Genesis, Urek, Akkad, uh, Kalna, and, and Shinar. Um, Shinar is the land to the east, same as Babylon. Verse 11, from that land he went to Assyria, another bad place where he built Nineveh. This is the town that Jonah did not want to go to because they were so evil. Uh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. Get it? The great city. It, it's not that God, it's not that we're a part of God's great city. We're building a city for ourselves. And number three, the Antichrist is like Pharaoh who enslaved God's people. Uh, number four, uh, and by the way, Pharaoh is very interesting. Pharaoh is the first um, wicked ruler um, of a nation 
a big nation who enslaved Israel in the Bible. So people talk about beast empires. Egypt is the first one, and Pharaoh literally thought that he was a god. And so it's interesting when you read Exodus chapters uh, 6 through 12 because God goes through the pantheon and systematically murders every single one of his gods, showing that they are fake, showing that they are powerless, showing that they actually cannot deliver Pharaoh or his people. And if they're not gods, Pharaoh is not God either. That's the implied point. Because guess what? He couldn't even save his firstborn son. Number four, um, the Antichrist is like Korah who rebelled against Moses' leadership. Uh, this is Numbers uh, 16, verses um, uh, 2 and 3. Uh, so there's some guys that rose up, verse 1 and then verse 2. Uh, they rose up against Moses. With them, 250 Israelite men, well-known Israelite uh, community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. <laughs> uh, there's always a skeptical person in church. You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why, why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? What he's saying is, hey, uh, we all can hear from God. Why do we need your leadership? Why do we need you, Moses? Uh, you think you're better than everybody else because nobody else can be a leader. How dare you? How dare you set yourself up against the rest of us? It's uh, it's an ego thing. It's a pride thing. Korah wanted to be in charge. There's always a leader, by the way. Most people are sheep, and there's always a leader. And uh, often the person that has a problem with the leadership, they want to usurp leadership. And as the man of lawlessness, that's what the Antichrist does. Five, the Antichrist is like Balaam who tried to curse Israel. You can read this in Numbers 23 and 24. And this guy is so notable that Jesus' name drops him twice in the book of Revelation as the guy who tried, who put a stumbling block before Israel. And in the same way, the Antichrist is going to put a stumbling block before the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, worship someone else other than God. Number six, the Antichrist is like Saul, who intruded into the office of the priesthood. Uh, this is 1 Samuel 13, 9 through 13, and Matthew 24, 15. Let me just summarize that story for a moment. Um, this was wartime. Saul was the new king. Samuel was the prophet of God. And Saul needed to wait for Samuel to offer the burnt offering so that war would be successful. But Saul was growing antsy. He was growing a little impatient. He didn't wait for Samuel. And so he, or, he offered the sacrifice himself. And because he usurped Samuel's position and role, he was demoted as king. That was the reason why the kingdom was going to be ripped from him. And this is why we have David as uh, a successor. Uh, Saul and David weren't buddies. They weren't friends. Saul tried to kill David on numerous occasions, antichrist behavior. Um, but that's why we have a successor in David. Number seven, the antichrist is like Goliath who spoke defiant words against God's people. Uh, this is uh, 1 Samuel 17, 23 and 24. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So uh, Goliath is a descendant of Anak. Anak is one of the giants. And the giants came from the union that the demons had with human women in Genesis 6, where they bore giant uh, giants as offspring. Quote those men of renown, those heroes of old, uh, the terrorists, you can think of them. They're not heroes the way we would think of heroes. Moving along, number eight, the Antichrist is like Absalom who tried to steal his father's kingdom away from David. 
This is Second Samuel 15. I won't read the whole thing, but essentially, um, there were some civil issues, as there always are civil issues. And the people come to Absalom, David's son, and they're like, "Hey, we have these problems." And Absalom is like, "Well, you know, like 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 every politician, you know, I would like to solve your problems. I just can't because I'm not your king. Nominate me as your king, and I'll solve your problems." Sounds like every election cycle. And anti and what Absalom is doing is he's trying to steal the kingdom away from his father David. And in the same way, the Antichrist comes in and he tries to rule he's going to rule over the kingdoms of the world, which ultimately belong to God. It's the same kind of behavior. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 9, that he's going to oppose himself against all uh, everything that's called God, and he's going to oppose himself against uh, really anything that is authoritative. He wants to be in that top seat. Number nine, Jeroboam creates a false religion like the Antichrist. Um, the story is that he is ruling part of the kingdom, and I think he's in Israel. He's in Israel, and he's like, hey, people, it's a long hike to go down to Jerusalem, to down to the temple to worship, so why don't you... Um, why don't you worship here? Um, and, and, and he set up two golden calves for them to worship. The irony is very, very biting because the Israelites set up a golden calf the minute they left Egypt. And this is the same thing that the Antichrist will do. Uh, Antichrist will set up a statue uh, of, of the beast, of this false religion, just like Nebuchadnezzar did. Um, that's actually one of my points here. Verse, uh, uh, um, I'll get there. Sennacherib tried to destroy Jerusalem, just like the Antichrist will try to destroy the holy city. Um, I mentioned Nebuchadnezzar. Number 12, Haman tried to commit genocide against the Jews. Anytime you have a world leader that wants to exterminate the Jews, anytime you have um, the promotion of anti-Semitism, it's antichrist behavior. Mark my words, it's very demonic. It's very demonic. And listen, the more of the biblical narrative that you consume, the more you can see this more clearly. It's very scary what's happening right now as anti-Semitism is, is seen as cool and in. And um, it, it's just it's just very, very, very heartbreaking and pathetic. Last one. Um, the Antichrist is like Antiochus Epiphanes, who defiled the temple. Uh, in Daniel 11, it talks about the time uh, of, of, of silence. So between the old covenant and the new covenant is 400 years where God didn't say anything. He didn't send a prophet, didn't write a book of the Bible. There were 400 years of silence. And during that time, um, world power shifted from the Persians to the Greeks. And the Greeks... Um, Antiochus Epiphanes was the, was the leader and he was the one that went out in conquest and battle. And he was, he was the one that made it happen. He was the one that took over so many lands and he was a very successful militant leader. And when he got to Jerusalem, he sacrificed a pig on the altar, which is an unclean animal from Levit Leviticus 11. And, uh, he wasn't supposed to do it. It was the ultimate act of, res uh, of disrespect. And, uh, and Jesus actually calls special attention to this in Matthew 24, 15. He says, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, that's a quote from Daniel. Um, and, and he says that Daniel spoke of this. So this is something that happened historically. And Jesus 
is at least implying that this is an event that perhaps will happen again. Perhaps will happen again. And so those are the 13 marks of the Antichrist. Remember, the Antichrist is anybody who is opposed to Jesus Christ, anybody who sets himself up against Jesus Christ. Listen, there's only one ruler. There's only one leader. There's only one God. There's only one Lord. And it's amazing that the devil doesn't want you to worship God. He doesn't care what you believe in, what you worship, what you devote yourself up, uh, up to. It could be um, the atheism, just the militant belief that there is no God. Uh, you can be an agnostic. You can you can hold to your truth that there's no way to know what's true. Is that true? Um, you can hold to the belief that another religion is true. Um, but but religions, half of them are just ideologies. They're just they're just philosophies of life. And the other half, um, they're either polytheistic or they're monotheistic. The polytheistic religions have, um, I'll say this, in my opinion, this is what gives religion a bad rap. When you have a God for water and a God for air and a God for food and a God for fertility and a God for this and a God for that. And it's just like, what about just living your everyday life? This is, I believe why atheists are like, hey, um, this is dumb. There's scientific answers behind the crops. There's scientific answers behind the rain. I get that. Um, and, 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 but, but, and then you have the monotheistic religions, which basically are the Jew, um, the, the Middle Eastern uh, religions, and, and it comes down to Christianity, Ju- Judaism, and Islam. Well, um, Christianity is the is, is the complete testimony of God's revelation revealed to us in the Bible. Judaism is based off of the Old Covenant, and Islam is a religion that came 500 years later, and its purpose is just to disprove everything in the Bible and to say that Jesus is not God and Yahweh is not God. And it, it's just it's it's meant to just contradict everything that came 500 years at least before it. And all of this is is the mark of the Antichrist. All of this is the activity of the Antichrist. All of this uh, would fall under what what God says in Second Thessalonians as great deception. Great deception. Those are the thirteen. I will see you next time. God bless.